Morning, church. Good to see everyone. Good to see. Welcome to uh, Portside on this Daylight Saving Sunday. Is everyone awake? Are we okay? When my alarm went off this morning, I swear it was the middle of the night. And um, so I was not prepared for the spring forward. Um, but anyways, glad to see everyone here. I'm glad to see no one brought their blankies and snuggled up on the pews to take a nap. It's encouraging. Um, we are beginning a new series this morning in the book of Jonah. And it will be a four-week series. And I'm, I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do through this study. And um, it is going to be a four-week series uh, right into leading us right into our Easter series um, coming up, which is soon, very soon. Easter is April 12th, if you had forgotten. Um, and so we're excited about that. Sunrise service at 6.30 in the morning, and then normal celebration service right here at 11 o'clock. And so we're excited for Easter to celebrate our risen Savior. But I'm, I'm excited to be here this morning. Um, you know, I had, the, I had the week off last week. And, uh, and so I, I'm feeling, feeling energized, feeling good, ready to, ready to bring, some, bring the word uh, to the church this morning. And um, I just, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about as we're worshiping, as the choir is singing. Um, this really has nothing to do with our message this morning, but it, how amazing it is that we get, to, we get to gather together. Have we taken that for granted? How, how amazing it is that we get to come together as believers, and, by the way, in a free nation, where people aren't knocking our doors down trying to take us to jail for worshiping Jesus. Man, what an amazing thing that we get to come together and worship together and, and read God's word together, encourage one another, cry and laugh with one another. Like this, this is church. This is what God intended, and it is an amazing thing. And my prayer is that we would never take this time on Sundays for granted and forget um, what Christ has bought for us, and it is the church. And so we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 this morning, and I'm going to read a little bit, and then we will pray. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that we get to be in your presence, Lord, that you have allowed us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we have been bought, we have been changed, we have been transformed, we have been given new life, and the curtain, the veil has been torn. And now we can enter into your presence freely. And Father, we come before you this morning into your presence, and we ask you to move in a mighty way. We ask you, Father, Lord, to show up here to speak to us, to change us, to change our minds about our lives and about our families and about our situations and, and our, change our minds about you. 
Change our hearts, Father, that we would follow after You. No matter the cost. Father, we pray that You would speak mightily through Your Word. That not a word from my mouth or my thoughts would come out. But Lord, only, only Yours. Because it is only Your Word that changes us. Lord, I pray for this city. That You would continue to pour Your Spirit into it, Lord. That You would continue to save people. Continue to change people, Father. And I pray that You would use this church, Portside, Lord. To bring the Gospel to North Charleston and Park Circle. Give us strength and boldness to be a light shining in darkness. When people see us, they see Jesus. And I pray for other churches this morning, Father, as they are on the same mission. I pray that you would strengthen them. Give them boldness. Give them faith. Give them life. Speak in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Jonah chapter 1. Now, uh, my question this morning is, when is the last time you watched a movie? When's the last time you watched a movie? Uh, me and my wife, Kira, we watched a movie last night, and uh, a phenomenal movie. It was actually the new movie that was based off the true events of Mr. Rogers. You guys are familiar with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, and it was, the movie was called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, right, wasn't it? And, um, and so it was a, highly recommend the movie, you should go watch it, very, a, a wonderful message of forgiveness, but um. When's the last time you watched a movie? And here's the thing about movies. When the beginning of the movie, when it opens, when the scenes begin, right, there, there is this picture, there's this thing that's happening, a, a situation that is occurring, and what the producer of the movie, the, the writer of the movie has to do is to pull you in, the viewer, into the scene and set the context. For why it's happening. Now in, in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, this, this uh, movie we watched last night, I'm not going to give it away, no spoiler alerts, don't worry. Um, but there is a part where he opens up a little door while he's on set and there's a picture of a man. And the man has a busted up nose and a black eye. And he says, this is my friend, Lloyd. And as a viewer, we're like, well, who in the world is Lloyd? And, and why does he have a black eye and a busted up nose? And you don't know. But then the movie goes into the context of why this is happening. So I want to set the scene for you as we begin this story into Jonah. And uh, many people over the, the, the course of history have believed Jonah to be a, um, you know, a, a fictional story. They, they have believed it to be a parable um, or, or some story that has a deeper meaning, but it's not true. But I want to tell you that... I believe the story of Jonah to be very true, to be factual events, to be true history. And in fact, in 2 Kings chapter 14, we have true history that Jonah was a real person. He shows up in 2 Kings chapter 14, that Jonah of Amittai, the, the same Jonah here, was the one that brought prophecy to King Jeroboam II of Israel. The prophecy that Israel would regain prominence and wealth. We also see our Lord Jesus. He quotes Jonah. He talks about Jonah in the book of Matthew. Jesus talks about Jonah as a real person. In my opinion, that's all the evidence you need. If Jesus said it, then that's enough. 
So Jonah is, this is a real book. This is a, a true story. These are true events. And as we go through this the next four weeks, you're going to see some pretty extravagant things happen. Some pretty amazing things are going to happen that are going to make you feel like, I don't know if that could happen. That doesn't seem possible. But I want to tell you that it is. And that we serve a God of the impossible. We serve an amazing God that can do amazing things. And this book has a special message for us as a church, I believe. And for you as individuals. So I want to set the scene this morning. And it really begins with two nations. On the one hand, the nation of Israel. Israel is is uh, God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. And at this point in time, in, in, the, in the time of Jonah, Israel is on this amazing rise. They're on this amazing come up, right? And they're under this new king, and his name is Jeroboam II. And Jeroboam is, is, a, he is a very successful king in Israel. He has brought so much success. They are reclaiming lands. They are taking new territory. Their kingdom, their, their nation is expanding. They are growing in wealth. The nation is seeing wealth that they've hardly ever seen before. Not only that, but for one of the first times in the nation's history, they have political influence in the known world. Other nations across the world are looking to Israel. This kind of sounds funny, doesn't it? They're looking to Israel on how to structure their nation. They have this amazing success. Everything on the outside is looking really, really good. Now, on the other hand, the other nation is the nation of Assyria. And this is a, this is a pagan nation. They, they don't believe in God. They believe in many gods. But Assyria is kind of similar, a little different. There's lots, of, there's lots of political turmoil going on in the nation. Lots of turnover in leadership. Many new kings. Many new officials. And, in fact, the, the, the nation of Assyria is very large. But their city-states are rebelling against their king. They are turning their back on their king. And one king here in the time of Jonah is suppressing all of these rebellions. Suppressing the people into submission. And he's trying to bring Assyria back up to speed. And he's going to do this by expanding a city. And this city is called Nineveh. That the wealth of Assyria is going to come through this expansion of one city in the nation known as Nineveh. And it's going to be a great city. It's going to be a phenomenal city. It's actually going to be a spectacle to behold. It's going to have great wealth and great success. And so they construct this city, Nineveh, and they onto the historical scene it goes. And now... Here's the thing, though. Both of these two nations, they have great external success. They have great external things going on. There, there are so many wonderful things happening to both of them. But check this out. Israel, in 2 Kings chapter 14, what does God's word say about King Jeroboam II? That he was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that he caused Israel to sin. So though Jeroboam II was this amazing king in the nation of Israel, bringing great prosperity and success to Israel, he, he was evil in the sight of the Lord. And don't even get me started on the Assyrians. They didn't even believe in God. They had many gods. 
yet they had this great success on the outside. And isn't that a, isn't that a lesson to us today? Before we even get into the story of Jonah, even to the word of God, isn't it a lesson to us today that we can build and build and build and we can, we can pack on great things onto our life, but if your heart is not after God, if your heart is not following Jesus, if your heart has not been changed by the Spirit of God, then what is it worth? Jesus said, well, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but then to lose his soul? The same applies to our church. You've heard me speak of the great things that we're doing here as a church. You've heard me speak of the renovations and the new LED sign and all the updates to the, to the worship center. And, and we're doing great things here as a church, but... I I plead with you that don't let all of these external things of success bring you confidence into your relationship with God. For that we can build and build and build our own little kingdom, but if the God, but if God's word is not center here at this church, if we are not after the mission of God, then what is it for? We will build a great building, a great church, and then it will die when we die. Now, Jonah has been given the word to go to Nineveh. And to, just to finish the scene, it would be a big deal if someone came to your great city that you just built that's going to bring wealth to your nation and they told you that it's going to be destroyed. That would be a big deal, right? That would be a big problem. And that's what Jonah is going to do. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now the word of the Lord, this is, this is God's word. This is his actual voice that has come to this man named Jonah. It is the word of God that has come. His desires, his purposes, his, his, uh, his desires for what is to be carried out has come now to Jonah. And church, when the word of the Lord comes to earth, earth must respond to it. Where has the word gone? It has gone to Jonah, the son of Amittai, the word of the Lord says. What does that mean, the son of Amittai? The original meaning there is Jonah. His name is the son of truth. The son of my truth. That is what Amittai means. That the son of my truth. Now this is an interesting part of the book of Jonah because it is the first foreshadowing of the son. Of the truth. It's the first foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. You'll notice as we read through this book, you're going to see Jonah as a Christ-like figure, representing a Savior that is going to come, but yet Jonah's not quite like the Savior that's going to come. But he says, comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, the son of my truth. What did Jesus say about himself? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus called himself the truth. 
So it comes to Jonah, and what does the word of the Lord say? It says in verse 2, God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me, and the mission is clear. It is to go to Nineveh and call it out for its sin, and hope for repentance, and that the city would turn to God. But then verse 3 comes along. Oh, Jonah, 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 Jonah. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Yes, that's three. Away from the presence of the Lord. Oh, Jonah. Jonah heard the presence of the Lord, but he decided something different. He decided this is not what I'm going to do. And so what does the word of God say that Jonah did? He fled to Tarshish. And he says Tarshish three times. Why does it say Tarshish three times? Because the word of God wants you to know that Jonah was not going to Nineveh. That he wanted to go anywhere else but Nineveh. He was actually going in the opposite way. Now, scholars don't exactly know where Tarshish was on the map, but they believe that it was on the west coast of Spain. So if you're looking at the map, Jonah is over here in the Middle East. Spain is to the west, right? Your way, it's my way, your way. To the west, right? And to the known world, church, that was the end of the world. They they haven't discovered America yet. (laughs) That was the end of the world. That's where the seas dropped off into the abyss, right? And so in English, we might say uh, Timbuktu. That's what we might refer to as Timbuktu. So Jonah is on his way to Timbuktu, Tarshish, because he wants to go anywhere but where God has just called him to go. He wants to go anywhere than what this direction has been given to him. And it is away from the presence of the Lord. Says that twice. And don't we do this? Don't we do this in our life today? Don't we do this all the time? That when God's sovereign will comes upon our life, when His sovereign plans come comes upon our life, so many times instead of accepting that will, instead of accepting that plan, we choose to run away from it. All we want to do is get away from it. What, and what am I talking about? I'm not talking about necessarily your calling, what God's called you to. I'm talking about what God has appointed in your life. The sickness, the family problems, the, these issues, that, these afflictions that, that come upon us in, in, in randomness in life. Yet they were God-appointed for a purpose that we have no idea why, but God does. And instead of following those purposes and trying to understand who God is in them, all we want to do is get away from it. Because it wasn't our plan. It wasn't what we wanted. And so Jonah pays the fare, and he goes down into the boat. But verse 4 The Lord says, okay, Jonah, I'll I'll one-up you. In verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, 
And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. The mariners were afraid. The people working the ship, the people that sailed all the time, the people that were used to storms, they were afraid. This was a bad storm. And it says each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Verse 6, so the captain came up and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is yet the second picture of Jesus. Why is that? Because in Mark chapter 4, there is a great storm that is happening. And Jesus and his disciples are on a boat crossing a sea. And where is Jesus, church? He's asleep under the boat during a storm. And the disciples run to Jesus and say, Jesus, Jesus, do you not care if we are going to die? And Jesus, what does he do? He stands up and he, peace be still. And he silences the waves. You see, it's a picture of Jesus, but it's also to show us that that Jonah is not Jesus. Because Jonah couldn't stand up and silence the storm. Only the Savior of the world could silence the storm. Jonah didn't have that power. So he stands up. He wakes up and they say, you need to call out to your gods. Maybe maybe one of your gods can save us. And they said, in verse 7, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They asked him, Why is this happening to us? You need to explain yourself. Who, Who are you? Where are you from? And how does Jonah respond? He says, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, before you clap for Jonah and pat him on the back, that a boy, Jonah, that a boy, you need to realize where Jonah is. He's on a boat on his way to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Away from God. Away from the plans. This is not Jonah saying, I'm, I'm a great Christian, I, I'm, a great, you know, I'm a great follower of the Lord, I'm a servant of Him. No, he is running from God. And it's a message to us. If you claim to be a Christ follower, does your life show it? If we claim to honor God, if we claim to follow Jesus, if we claim that we are disciples of Him, does the way we talk and act and live out our life 
show that to other people? Is there fruit growing? Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid. For they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then the mariners responded. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Church, I do not want you to read this passage. I do not want you to read this section or this story about the storm here, this great storm that is happening. And I don't want you to relay it to all the little storms that happen into our life. I don't want you to compare this storm to, the, to the, all the afflictions that we face throughout our lifetime. You see, this is not talking about all the little problems that we deal with. This storm is talking about a great storm. The biggest storm that there's ever been. And it is a storm that is within our heart. It is the storm that is within us. The great chasm between us and a holy God. And there is only one way to get to that God. And to, and to fill this chasm, to, to bridge that gap. And it is through a perfect sacrifice. And you see, this is yet the third picture of Jesus for Jonah. Because what did he say in verse 12? He said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then the sea will quiet down for you. You see, it was this picture of a personal sacrifice, a bodily sacrifice. To calm the storm for the mariners, had, someone had to go into the sea. Someone had to give their life for the others. But how did the mariners respond? In verse 13 it says, Nevertheless the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Church, stop rowing. Stop rowing. Stop trying to get, stop trying and trying and trying to, to gain this salvation, to gain this holiness, this righteousness. Stop throwing off cargo. Stop, stop crying out to things that aren't even alive, that you're trying to find satisfaction to give you life, to give you, to give you happiness and joy. But I'm telling you, there is no other way to life and joy and peace. It is only through Jesus. And the picture is clear. The sacrifice was given. He said, throw me into the water. Receive this sacrifice. Receive this. And the men said, nevertheless, the word of God says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get to dry land. They said, no, we're going to ignore the sacrifice and we're going to work and work and work and work and try to get there on our own. If you're not a believer here this morning, if you have not been changed by the power of the gospel this morning, aren't you tired of rowing? 
Aren't you tired of trying to get satisfaction in life where there is no life? If you are a Christian this morning, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus and you follow Him, stop rowing. Stop trying to gain good status in front of a holy God. Every time that we sin, stop rowing to try to get back to God. Because you are already declared righteous. You are already declared clean. You are already declared holy. When God looks at you, He sees His Son, Jesus. In verse 14, Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You see, it's the fourth and final picture of our time this morning of Jesus. That after Jonah surrendered his body to silence the storm, where does he go? Into the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Just as Jesus, after he gave his life on a cross to silence the storm of humanity, of sin and death that could not be conquered. He was taken off the cross and put into a tomb for three days, only to rise again. You see, this story is... This final section here, as we begin to close, is a picture of God's sovereignty over our life, that in verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You see, this is a picture of God's justice, his judgment, and his mercy. This is God's judgment on Jonah for his disobedience and running from his word. But God could have left him in the sea to drown. To to perish, to die. But he didn't. He appointed the fish to come swallow him. It is God's mercy for Jonah. (laughs) In a strange way. But you see, God's sovereignty is what rings forth here. God's sovereignty over our lives is what is pushed to the forefront. Because it says the Lord appointed the great fish to swallow Jonah. A better translation of that word appointed is the word ordained. The word ordained, it, it, was, it was established, it was laid in the foundations before time even began. That it was, it was ordered to be that way. And you see, God's plans for our lives, church, they have great purpose. They have great purpose. 
I know that you don't want to have the problems with your family. I know that you want to reconcile with your children or your grandchildren. I know you don't want the addiction. I know that you don't want the depression, the anxiety, the fear. I know that you don't want the cancer. I know that you don't want all of these afflictions placed upon your life. But you see, God's plans have great purpose for our life. And I bet Jonah didn't want to be in the belly of the fish either. Can you, like, really try to fathom that? Try to put that into perspective for yourself. Could you imagine? Scientists for all of history have tried to prove there's no possible way. There's no way. There's no way a person could be swallowed by a well and he would live. But it happened. Could you imagine the pain, the suffering, the confusion, the discomfort, the anguish? Yet God appointed it for him. And why? Why did he appoint it for Jonah? Because the people of Nineveh needed to hear the word of God. The people of Nineveh needed a chance to repent. You see, I know without you don't want all of these afflictions upon your life. I know that you don't want the discomforts and the problems. But church, what if we looked at it from a different perspective? What if we saw it as God's ordained plan for our life so that others could hear the gospel? So that others could hear the good news of Jesus? So that others could see that we serve a God that is great and mighty and greatly to be praised. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 through 19 says this. Beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, listen, listen. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The word of God says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will it is a part of his plans. It is a part of his, of his greater plans for our lives that we go through sufferings of many kinds. And, and Peter here says, don't be surprised when they come. As if something weird or, or outlandish is happening to you. But rejoice. And at the end he says, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will do what? Entrust their souls to a faithful creator. While doing good, that I'm going to let go. 
I'm going to let go of my plans. I'm going to let go of these things in life that I thought were going to happen. And, and I, I thought it was going to be this way and it didn't work out to be that way. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let go. I'm going to entrust my soul to a faithful creator. Because he created me. He knows his plans for me. 2 Corinthians 1 chapter uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So yes, it's true. We will go through afflictions. We will go through sufferings. We will and we are to rejoice through those. But look at the promises of God. In 2 Corinthians, we, we serve the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That in your afflictions, God will comfort you. That God will provide for you. And it doesn't, it doesn't say he's going to comfort you and take you out of the suffering. He's going to comfort you in your affliction. And why? Why does he do this? The God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. Why did Jonah get swallowed by the fish? Because God wasn't finished with Jonah. Nineveh needed to hear the word of God. Nineveh needed the chance to repent. Why are you going through the afflictions that you are going through and the struggles you are experiencing? I don't have an answer for you. Only God knows. But I can say that the truth of God's word says that you have a job to do and that God has given you and, and me and all of us a specific opportunity to show Him through our afflictions. As we close today, do you need a perspective change? Do you need to, be, to begin looking at maybe a certain situation in your life a little differently? A little, a little differently than the way that you've been carrying it. Maybe, maybe this thing has been affecting you greatly. And instead of seeking community and finding healing and comfort in the church or with friends and family, and instead of going out and sharing the gospel and the hope that you have in Jesus through this affliction, maybe you've secluded yourself. My question is, how can you start viewing your afflictions differently today? And are you tired of rowing? Are you tired of rowing like the mariners in the great storm? If you're not a believer today, I, I plead with you. I plead with you. Stop rowing. Stop Seeking life in things that will never give you life, that will never give you satisfaction, that will never change you. Stop rowing today. Stop throwing cargo. 
Stop crying out to these gods and accept the good sacrifice of Jesus. You can do it today. And if you're a Christian, please stop rowing. Accept, accept the sacrifice that's been made for you. Accept the one. It, it is finished. It is finished, Jesus said at the cross. And the book of Hebrews says that he went and sat down at the right hand of God, signifying that his work was done. He could sit now. You don't have to work your way to gain good status before a holy God. You, you have good status if you are in Christ. If you need to respond this morning, please do in our time of, of worship coming up. If you need prayer or someone to talk to, please come talk to me. I would love to pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... God, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for this amazing story that we read this morning, Father. And What an amazing adventure. God, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you that you have plans for our lives that we don't understand. And that each plan, Father, that, that those who are in Christ, Father, all things work to the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. And we know that and we hold true to that promise. That you have allowed afflictions into our lives so that we can know you more. So that we can be changed. And so that we can change and comfort others. Father, we praise you for your grace. God, we thank you that even in our disobedience, Father, you show us grace. Lord, I pray for this church, Father, that you would just put your hand on all of us. That we would seek after you more and more and more, Father. That we would pursue the goodness of your word. And try to understand more about how you work and move in our lives. We thank you and praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.